I want you to know it's an honor for me to be able to be here in this room and spending time with you today. As we open up God's word together, my prayer and my hope would be that God would teach us something new, that he would move us in some kind of way, transform our hearts and our lives in some kind of way. Uh, we are in the midst of a series called Beating the Odds, and um, I am convinced that this series is an incredibly important series uh, for each and every one of us this morning uh, for some very significant kind of reasons. I think because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, particularly within our world, within our country, and so forth, I think this series is one that if we can open our hearts and minds to hear from today, it could transform us and prepare us for what God has for us next. We are in week two of this series, and last week we began the series looking at uh, a principle that God teaches us within Scripture that can help us live a full life that God has for us. Last week we opened up the, the Scriptures and looked at a particular principle that God gives us, which is this. Um, it's the principle of reaping and sowing. Very simply put, what we sow into uh, our life, the field of life, is what we will reap in return. What we plant is what we will harvest. And so for some of us, when we don't pay enough attention to the things that we are sowing into life, we end up reaping things and they're surprising to us. Last week we said we don't have to be surprised. We don't have to live life like, you know, rolling dice and gambling. Instead, we can know exactly uh, what's going to be returning to us so we know what we're sowing into the life that God has given to us. So um, we took, talked about some statistics that were kind of staggering, uh, particularly out of this last year, in the year of 2020. Um, there's some statistics that came forth that were staggering to me, I know, personally, and probably to all of us really within the church. The first one came from the Barna Research Group. And the Barna Research Group tells us that right now, in 2021, um, 30 to 50% of all marriages end in separation or divorce. Some kind of statistic between the two of there is hard to track, but somewhere between 30 and 50% um, marriages end in divorce. The amount of family debt is up. The average family has four different credit cards, and the average family has $6,200 on each one of those credit cards. And in the year 2020, it was certainly not helpful to us in terms of our debt and our finances. But one particular statistic really stood out to me, and that was this one. It said that one in six adults will suffer from bouts of depression and anxiety within their lives. One in six adults. I found this particular statistic to be probably one of the single greatest dangers to our culture today. And the reason is because of this. When we live in a culture like we do today that is full of social distancing, masks, political unrest, toxic news cycles, you name it, I could go on and on. These kinds of circumstances have a way of affecting our minds. And our minds are incredibly fragile. They are incredibly vulnerable and so I believe what I want to do today is look into the scriptures because God gives us principles in terms of our mindset, in terms of the way that we think, that can help us live a life that is full so that God can help us beat the odds in our mindset. And here's the thing. All the statistics that we talked about last week and this week, they're not just statistics. They are people. They are families with names and faces. And chances are some of these statistics have affected people that are in this room right now who are watching online potentially for this 1045 service. Real people, real families that God really cares about. Here's what I'm convinced of this morning. Jesus did not live, die, and resurrect from the dead so that you could be a statistic. That is not the reason that he came. He came and lived this life. He died and resurrected from the dead so that you and I could experience a full life that he has for us. And because of this, he offers us all kinds of principles and ways to live within the scriptures that we can apply to our lives and experience the life that he wants for us. You see, no one wakes up one day and says, you know what I want today? I want to make decisions that's going to ensure that my marriage will end. No one does that. 
No one wakes up and says, you know what I would love to do? Live month to month with all of my extra income going to uh, exorbitant uh, credit card debt. No one wakes up and says, this year I want to make sure that I live this day and this week stuck in my head, struggling with different thoughts and anxieties. That's, no one does that. This is not what we set out to do. It's not the goal. It happens along and along. It happens without really even noticing. It's a death by a thousand paper cuts. And so I believe that God could speak to us today so that we might experience a true and full life from the principles that he gives us in the scriptures so that we don't have to gamble on how our life might turn out. We don't roll the dice on how things may go, but instead we can be confident in knowing that God will lead us and guide us carefully by the mindset that we have and the way that we live. I shared a story last week in the contemporary space that I wanted to share this week. And my family, we love to go um, on vacation in South Carolina, either in the mountains or at the beach. It's kind of our place, one of the two to go. We had a 1985 camper that my grandfather had allowed us to purchase from him. We remodeled the whole thing. We painted the inside. We got it all ready. And we pulled that thing all over the state, uh, to the beach, to the mountains. Uh, We recently got rid of that particular camper with many tears. But with Murray coming into the family and five of us now, we just simply did not fit into a 16-foot you know, fiberglass egg. So we got rid of that camper and we have a new one now that has an extra bed. And we're pulling that thing everywhere as well. And we're going in March with some good friends to the mountains. And our favorite place to go though is Pirate Land at the beach in Myrtle Beach. And if you've ever been to Pirate Land before, when you pull your camper and there are campers like as far as the eye could see. I mean, thousands of campers everywhere. And so we pull our camper in. We're usually there for a couple days. We enjoy the beach there. We enjoy all the fun stuff to do. We eat good food. But one of our favorite things to do, usually on the last day before we leave, is we go at the front of Pirate Land. As you first come in, there's an arcade there that has ice cream. So I love to go check it out too. And our boys love to go in there with some quarters and play all the quarter games before we leave and go home. And a couple of years ago, my son Eli had $5 worth of quarters in a bag, a little plastic bag, and it was burning a hole in his pocket. So he could not wait to go to play all the games in the arcade. So sure enough, I'm like, let's go check it out. Maybe they have ice cream. So we went up there and we're playing all the games and stuff. And in the corner of the arcade, there was one game that had a glass front to it. And there was quarters all over the bottom, just laying on the ground with a little bumper in the back that went back and forth. Maybe you've seen something like this before. And it was amazing. You take a quarter and you let the quarter slide in there and it falls down, lays flat, and the bumper hits it just right, hits other quarters and knocks them over. And so you get those quarters too. And it was like, it was like magic. And so Eli could not believe it. So sure enough, he takes some quarters and starts playing this game and I'm watching him. And within like 75 cents, he has $2 in quarters and he cannot believe he's blowing his mind. So as the responsible father, I said to him, son, do you have more quarters? He said, I do. I was like, good. So we kept playing quarter after quarter. And I understand these machines. I mean, it's a gamble. You're rolling the dice here. Like they don't give away free money. So I, I realize what's going on here, but, but it was going so well. So we kept going with the quarters. And within a few minutes, he had amassed $18 in quarters from the five original dollars and quarters that he had in the very beginning. So we were amazed and it was going so awesome. And so again, as a responsible father, I said, son, you have $18 in quarters now. We should walk away. The odds are not good that if we continue to play in this kind of way with all of the quarters that you'll be able to keep, all the quarters that you have right now, we should leave. But we didn't. Because the allure of one more quarter, one more victory was just too much. And so sure enough, within five minutes, all $18 were gone. All the quarters were inside the glass case now in front of us, including the five that he originally started with. So we walked out, empty pockets, a little bit of regret. And I look back on that trip two years ago and I realized the biggest battle that we had was not that we had more quarters or less quarters in our pocket. The biggest battle we had was going on between our ears. It was in our minds. 
You know, we kept convincing ourselves, listen, it's going so great. Just one more quarter, certainly that'll give us more quarters. And just one more quarter will probably give us more quarters. And we, we struggle on when to finally say enough is enough. Let's step away. Let's walk away. You see, here's the truth. Our life is not stacked in our favor. Life is not stacked in our favor. And we see it all around us, circumstances, situations. And so when, if that's the case, then we have to be very careful to make sure that we live the principles of God Live the way God has called us to, believing and trusting that he will guide us each and every step of our life. I'm afraid that what I've just described in the story is how most of us live our lives. We, we don't think about what's happening, only we think about the moment, not what it's going to mean in the future. The consequences that may come. We only think about what's happening right now, right in front of us. We don't pay attention to the fact that there's a battle going on in our mind at all times. Because our thoughts become actions. And in our actions, they become habits. And our habits, if we're not careful, they become character. They become a destiny. So we have to pay attention to each and every thought. There's a principle that I believe shows up within Scripture from the beginning to end, and it's very simple. But it's something that I think that can change our lives. It's this. What we believe within our minds impacts what we become within our lives. What we believe to be true in our minds will impact who we become within our lives. There's a foundational truth that every Christian should realize, and it's this, that there is a God who cares about us, who loves us, who has a plan for our life. But not only that, but there's also an evil one who also has a plan for our life. You see, we can't just float through, not thinking about what's going on, not paying attention to the future, gambling with the things that may take place with our life, just rolling the dice, because we don't have just God who has a plan for us. There's an evil one who would love to take us out as well. Jesus speaks to this very clearly in John chapter 10, verse 10. Very famous passage. This passage is Jeff Kersey's, one of his favorite passages. And it's very simply, Jesus says this to those who are listening. He says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you what? Life and life to the full. Jesus says, I don't want you to be mistaken there's an evil one. There is a thief who is out to kill, steal, and destroy. He has main tactics that he uses all throughout Scripture that if we can learn to identify those, we can make sure he doesn't have success within our life. The first one is this. He twists the truth. The evil one always twists the truth. What he does, he gives us just enough truth that we buy into it. And as soon as we buy in, then the lie comes. I'll give you an example. Sometimes when we make a mistake of some kind, some kind of regret comes in. Maybe we feel guilty about that. We feel bad about that. And we should. I mean, when we make a mistake, there's, there's some kind of guilt that maybe comes. But the lie is the next step. Once we buy that first piece, then we begin to believe because we did something bad, we are bad. That we're not worthy of God's love. That we have no worth within ourselves. And we find ourselves now believing something that is not true. And it's just like that because the evil one twists the truth. Secondly, he entices us to doubt God. He entices us to doubt God. Maybe in your life you've had something you've been praying for and waiting for, expecting God to do something great, but instead of it happening, it's not happening on our time schedule. And we're afraid that the prayers that we pray are just never going to be answered. We look at the world around us and it doesn't make sense. Can anyone agree with me? The world doesn't make sense. We also, we go through and endure pain and suffering. And when this happens, oftentimes there's a little seed that gets planted in our mind that invites us to believe that God doesn't care that God cannot and he will not come through, and maybe even that God doesn't exist at all. This is how the evil one plays this game, and it's for one reason. He wants to kill, steal, 
and destroy all of us. So we shouldn't be surprised when this kind of thing happens, when we come across this kind of, this kind of difficulty, because Jesus said, it's going to happen. This thief is real. But what does he say at the end of John 10, 10? But I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. Jesus came to help us beat the odds. But in my experience, the first place this battle is waged is in the mind. It starts here before anywhere else. The day before Christmas Eve, so Christmas Eve, Eve, uh, in 2020, this past year, I found myself in my parents' house. My family had come down from North Carolina. We were all there eating dinner together before things got hectic with Christmas Eve here at the church and stuff. And we sat down to dinner, and after dinner, we were opening some gifts, and we were spending time with each other. And I was sitting there in the chair, and I, I realized as I was watching my family that I, my heart was just racing. And I was sitting in this chair, and I was watching everybody have a great time. We just eaten a great meal, and we were having a, a great time together. And I, I just kept feeling this, like, uh, kind of like heaviness in my chest. My, my heart was just racing, racing. And I looked down, I happened to have an Apple watch on, my, on me. And so I looked down and sure enough, my, my, my blood pressure was elevated. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I didn't tell anybody at first. I'm just like trying to breathe, trying to be cool. And then all of a sudden I realized like something was going on. So I said to my family, I was like, I, I just feel weird. I don't know how to explain this. I tried to explain it. And turns out I think what took place was I had for the first time in my life a panic attack. I've never, ever had that before. I've never struggled with that before. That had never happened. And from all of my life, I mean, no matter what was going on in my life, circumstances, situations, whatever it might be, I've always just been a person that's like, listen, there's things to be done, pedal to the metal, just keep going forward. And that day before Christmas Eve this past year, what I feel like my body was telling me was, there are some things that you've just, you've just sped past and not paid any attention to, and it's too much. And, and it's, it's overcome you. It's overwhelmed you. And if you would have told me that at that time, I would have said, you're crazy. That's not true. But if I started looking back, it's absolutely true. We've all come through a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic still. My father-in-law passed away in May, and in some ways we still haven't really dealt with that grief. Christmas Eve is a very busy time here at the church. I was just coming into that whole season. We were remodeling a house. We just lived with my parents for nine weeks and just moved into a new house. My daughter's 15 months, and she sleeps like not great. So all these things had come together. And I realized what had taken place was my mind was so focused on all these little things without even realizing it. My body began to say, listen, you can't continue on like this. It's too much. And I know that some in the room, you, you may have this kind of struggle and this kind of issue every single day. I've never experienced it before. And when people used to try to explain it to me, I didn't understand it. But I've realized now that what consumes our mind controls our lives. If we allow ourselves to be consumed by certain kinds of things, it does end up controlling our lives as well. There are so many things that the evil one would love to use to steal our joy, to kill our motivation, to destroy our hope. And as Christians, we, we cannot allow it to happen because Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. Paul speaks to this in the New Testament as well. In the book of Romans, he speaks directly to this whole concept of mindset. Again, one of the most famous scriptures probably of all time. You've probably heard it a million times, but there's some aspects to it that I think sometimes we miss. Romans, or Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he's speaking to early Christians in Rome who are living in a very powerful empire at that point in time with all kinds of pressure. Does that sound familiar? Here in the United States, we live in an empire, a very powerful empire with all kinds of pressure all around us. Think about all the things that have gone on in the past week, the past month, the past year. All the pressure that's around us. So I believe what Paul is saying to those living in Rome is something that he wants to say to us today as well. 
I think if we can hear it with fresh ears, we can see it with fresh eyes, God can speak to us something anew. Here's what he says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul in this passage, he gets to begin discussing the mind, transformation, and renewal, which all of us want, right? But at the beginning of the passage, he says something very, very important. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's what? Great mercy. In view of God's mercy. You see, Paul's going to get to the rest of the things that he's saying, but, but he says, before I get to any other discussion, we have to start here. In view of God's mercy, his wonderful, amazing, powerful, unwarranted, transformative mercy, we must see the world through this lens. We must see the world in this kind of way. You see, all of us see the world around us with some kind of lens or another. Some of us in the room, we see the world through a cynical lens. And we feel like nothing is ever going to improve. Nothing will ever get better. This is, just, this is just what it is. And if I'm honest, I slide into that kind of lens often. A cynical lens as I see the world. Some of us, we, have, we see the world through a boredom lens. Nothing impresses us anymore. It's all been done before. Nothing is impressive. And so because of that, we find everything to be boring. Even when God does something amazing like a sunset or a sunrise. I've seen it before. It happens every single day. You see, the way we see the world, the lens through which we see the world, the vantage point with which we see the world is very important. And Paul says, in view of God's great mercy. My family went to Alaska a couple years ago. It was kind of a, a trip of a lifetime. My grandmother had just passed away. And so 12 of my family had decided to go to Anchorage, Alaska and kind of live out a lot of the trips my grandparents had done together when they were young. So we were going to fish and hike and, and do all the things and see all the stuff. And I had a cousin and her husband and family who lived in, in Anchorage at the time. And so we decided to fly out there. We rented this really great lodge on the Turnigan Arm, which is where the ocean kind of comes in right along the Seward Highway, right outside of Anchorage. It, it is the most beautiful place on earth. It's amazing. And so every day we would drive the Seward Highway to this lodge. We would stay there. And as you would drive along, you could see the, the water coming in from the ocean. You could see the mountains on both sides. It was beautiful. There was snow at the very, very top. It was, it was a really great experience. But all along the Seward Highway, as you would drive, you would see these little places that you could pull over and you could get out. There would be people staying out there everywhere that you drove by. And they'd all be standing out there looking at all the great sights. So sure enough, we'd pull over and we would get out. And at every place that you pulled over, there were these kind of metal swiveling binoculars kind of just on a stand. And you could walk up to them and you know, stand up on the, on the little stool there and you could look through. And just looking through the binoculars changed the whole vantage point, the whole view of everything you were seeing. It was all beautiful. But when you looked through the binoculars, you could see there was like goats on the side of the mountain eating and jumping and playing. You could see eagles flying in the air. You could see the actual waves in the Turnigan Arm as it went up from the ocean all the way through. You could see so much more than you ever saw before you got out of the car and you walked to the vantage point. You see, in our life, we see everything. We experience everything, but there's something different that happens when we change the lens of our life. We begin to look through a new kind of lens, and Paul invites us to look through the lens of mercy. In view of God's great mercy, it changes the way that we see the world. Do you realize this morning that because of God's great mercy, he sent Jesus Christ as his only son 
to die on a cross for you and for me. It's God's mercy. God's mercy offers us a fresh life, a new start right here and right now, each and every day. It's God's mercy that we have air in our lungs and a heart beating in our chest. It's all mercy and it's all ours. But if we don't start with that viewpoint, we miss all of it. If we have this viewpoint of God's mercy, we begin to move maybe from selfishness to gratitude. We move from worry to peace, from despair to hope. And it all begins with the way that we see the world. Paul says, brothers and sisters, in view of God's great mercy, let's start right here. But then Paul says this. It's in view of God's great mercy that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul says, we're going to get to this whole mind thing, but we've got to start here. In view of God's great mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. He steals an Old Testament imagery. In the Old Testament, they had a sacrificial system that for hundreds of years, the Jewish people would sacrifice animals from pigeons to lambs on the altar of God as a way to worship him, as a way to cover sin, have a relationship with God. And so for hundreds of years, this is the way they interacted and they connected with God until something very significant took place, which was Jesus Christ's death on the cross. The ultimate sacrifice. So Paul, who's writing to this early church, these early Christians, they knew what Jesus had done. And so now Paul, he's not talking about a dead sacrifice anymore. Because if you're a dead sacrifice, a pigeon or a lamb, you have no say in the matter, do you? You're dead, you're on the altar, and you can't move. That just is what it is. Paul's talking about something new here. He's grabbing this imagery from the Old Testament of what it looks like to worship God and to honor him. But now he says, live as a living sacrifice. And I want to say to you that a living sacrifice is so much more difficult than a dead sacrifice. Because we have say in the matter. And we are tempted every single day to crawl back off the altar. Rather than giving our lives, our bodies, and our minds to the things that God wants to do within them. Every single day is a battle for the mind that God has given to us. As a sacrificial way of honoring him and living for him. You see, a renewed mind that Paul speaks about starts with a surrendered mind first. One who has surrendered our entire life, our mind, our body, all of it. As a living sacrifice to God. It's in response to God's great mercy that we do this. We have a choice every single day to fill our minds and our hearts with negativity, with fear, with pride, with anxiety, or we can sacrifice it on this altar to give it to God, to allow him to have all of it, and to live as a living sacrifice day in and day out. There's a famous story about a Cherokee grandfather who was speaking to his grandson. You've probably heard this story before. The grandfather is speaking to his grandson. He says to them, son, you need to understand that there's a fight going on within your mind daily, he says to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One wolf is evil. It's anger, it's envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other wolf, this wolf is good, and he's joy, peace, love, hope, patience, humility, kindness, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. This fight is going on the inside of you and the inside of every person around us. 
Now the grandson thought about what his grandfather had said for a moment, and then he said, I see what you're saying, but which wolf will win? And the old man smiled, and he simply replied to his grandson, the one you feed, son, the one you feed. You know, all of us have a choice in this matter. Do we feed negativity? Do we feed pride? Do we feed fear? Or do we feed the opposite? Do we feed faith? And believe that God is in control of all things and believe and trust that in his great mercy he is working within our lives and he's allowing us to experience him and experience life to the full. A renewed mind is a surrendered mind. One that is sacrificed on the altar before God. Paul continues on. It says, in view of God's great mercy, this live as a living sacrifice. Then he says this, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the world around us, and certainly for those who are listening to Paul at that time as well, there were certain patterns that the world has. And what Paul's trying to convince the early Christian and the Christian today is this, that we don't find our cues from the world in how we live. We find our cues from the mercy of God. So even though the world may be obsessed with achievement, we don't give into that pattern. That's not how we live. We are Christians. We live differently. Even though the world is convinced that life is all about them and all on their terms, we don't give into that pattern. That's not how we live as Christians. Even though the world is mostly concerned with self, we don't give into that pattern. We don't take our cues from the world. We take our cues from God's great mercy. He says, don't conform any longer to the patterns of the world. These old patterns no longer work for you. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. Now the word transformed is a very interesting Greek word because this particular Greek word is, is participatory in nature. And what it means is this word transformed, there is certainly a piece to this word that makes us understand that someone is doing something to us that we can't do ourselves. It's transforming us. It's something that the work of the Holy Spirit can only do. God can only do. But the word is also participatory. Meaning there's a part of this word also that understands that we have a part to play in this transformation as well. As the Spirit of God wants to work in us and through us, we allow him. We always have choice in the matter. We invite God's Spirit to come and work and live inside of us. And in so doing, we are transformed by the way that we think. Our minds are changed. So Paul says, in view of God's great mercy, be a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the patterns of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind each and every day. You see, we may not be responsible for the origin of the things that come into our mind, but we are responsible for the outcome as we allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us. There was a fascinating study that came out in 2015 they had done with many different high school and middle school students. They had tracked these students and their ability to perform well within school, uh, taking tests and so forth. And they found that in all these students they studied, there were different kinds of uh, educational mindsets that they had. There were two in particular. One was called a fixed mindset and the other one was called a growth mindset. What they found was the students who had a fixed mindset um, greatly performed under those who had a growth mindset. A fixed mindset within these middle school and high school students they looked at was someone who believed that their ability to learn and to grow was fixed. It was what it was. There was nothing they could change about it. And so when they came across difficulty of whatever kind, they believed themselves to be stupid and unable to overcome that particular thing. When they believed that, their effort went down and so did their performance. But there were also students who had what they described as a growth mindset. 
And students with the growth mindset, they believe that, that even though they came across difficulty and things that they maybe couldn't do quite now, they believe that they had just not mastered it yet, that they continued to work hard and they tried something new that potentially they could overcome. And students with a growth mindset, the fact that their abilities were not fixed, but they could actually grow and increase, their performance went up when they came across difficulty, and so did uh, their achievements went up as well. You see, even within this particular study, these two concepts, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, I think can be applied to us this morning as well as Christians. There are a lot of Christians who I know who have a fixed mindset in terms of their relationship with God. It is what it is. It can't really change. And the circumstances and the situations that happen around me, I mean, it's just kind of my lot in life. It's the cards I've been dealt. We use these kinds of words, don't we, when we have a fixed mindset. Just is what it is. Nothing can change. I'll never be something, to, but it's just my personality. My personality is just like this. No, no, no. The Spirit of God would say to us, no, no, you can have a growth mindset. John Wesley believes strongly what is called sanctification, a process that God is working in us and through us each and every day to make us more and more and more like Jesus Christ. That's a growth mindset. You see, it all begins right here, right between our ears, because what we believe to be true in our minds will play out in our lives. Do we have a fixed mindset or do you have a growth mindset, believing God can do something new in you and transform you? The last two things I want to say. There are two passages I think that really help us with some understanding, practical ways to be able to have a mindset that allows us to grow. The first one comes from Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I love this passage. and In Psalm 1, the writer says this. He said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Sounds like full life to me, doesn't it? Sounds like the life God wants for us. Now the writer in verse 1 he, he writes specifically, there's a process to this. He says, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers. See the process? If you're walking with certain individuals in certain situations and all of a sudden you're not walking anymore, but now you're standing and then eventually you're sitting, it's more and more of a fixed position. The more you move from walking to standing to sitting, the more difficult it is to continue on. When we find our hearts walking and standing and sitting in ways of thinking and in circumstances, maybe even individuals that we surround ourselves with that don't lead us towards life, it is more and more and more difficult to continue on past all those things. You see, mindset is largely a result of our location and our focus. Our location and our focus. Have we set ourselves up for success in our mindset by the people that we've surrounded ourselves with? by the things that we allow into our hearts and minds, by the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, you name it. I mean, this is a message that we've heard probably in middle school all the way on, but it is so true. I mean, you would think that once we become adults, we begin to realize, wow, some of these things are not healthy for me. But guess what? We do them still. And Psalm 1 says, no, no, no. Don't walk there. Don't stand there. Don't sit there. Because the more you do, the more difficult it is to move on and have a more healthy mindset, one that honors God. And honors people. Lastly, Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says this The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. 
See, a renewed mind is, is about becoming someone who is controlled. Our minds are controlled, not by the flesh anymore, the things that we want immediately, the things that we want right now, but instead it is controlled by the Spirit of God, not settling for what we want right now, but settling for what we really, really want in the future, realizing those two things are connected. You see, a life that is lived by the flesh is one that leads to death, Paul says, but one that is lived by the Spirit is one that lives, leads to life and to peace. We can change our minds. This past weekend, on Friday, I was going to take my boys backpacking for the first time uh, out in the woods, like in a tent. And I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. And so that was already going to be exciting no matter where we went. We decided to go to North Carolina to John Rock, uh, where the Pisgah trout fishery, uh, the hatchery is right there, right in Brevard. And so sure enough, we drove up there and it was like really cold. We got out of the truck. It was 44 degrees. There was snow on the ground in some places. I'm like, great. First trip with the boys. I want them to come back. I want them to enjoy it. And I've already, you know, the, the deck, is, deck is stacked against us already. So we got our backpacks on. They're having a great time. We, we hike out to where we're going to camp and there's snow on the ground. But there's one spot where there's some dirt and grass. I'm like, okay, this is the place. We're going to be right here. All right, boys, go get sticks. We're going to make a fire. We tried for two hours to get a fire going and nothing um, I've backpacked in that location 15 times, but never in January. And everything was soaked through and would not burn. So in my head, I'm, you know, I, I realized my boys are going to take cues from me. So if I'm having a good time, they're going to have a good time. So I'm having a good time, even though I'm maybe not. And so I'm like, guys, it's going to be cool. Let's make dinner. So we made dinner and they didn't really like the dinner. So I'm like, great, <laughs> strike two. So then I realized that we, we not called Jenna, my wife, or texted her. And so she'd be worried sick. She wouldn't sleep. So I'm like, boys, who we got to do? We got to hike out real quick, not far. We'll go to the truck. We'll drive to service, get some service. We'll call mom. And then everything's cool. We'll come back and go to bed. So sure enough, we pack up in the middle of the night and it's dark. We got headlamps. We hike out. We drive. We get service. We call Jenna. And we're talking to her. And she's like, hey, listen, how's it going? I'm like, it's kind of cold. She's like, listen, I'll get a hotel room. Y'all can just go to a hotel room instead. And I'm like, no, no, we're good. And I can hear Owen in the back seat, my six-year-old. And he's like, dad, I don't really want to do this anymore. I kind of want to go home. And he hears his mom's voice. I'm like, oh, no. He's like, maybe we should go to a hotel. And I'm kind of scared about robbers. I'm like, what's a robber? They're going to take our nasty shoes? Like, we don't have anything, buddy, that a robber wants. Like, and it's freezing. I don't know if you recognize that. They're not going to come out here. So we got the phone with my wife and we drive back to the parking lot and he's just, he's cranking up. He's like, dad, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't want to. He just starts focusing on this fear. And so I said, listen, let's just walk back out to the tent. We'll get to the tent. We'll get inside. Let's see how we feel. If we're good, then we'll sleep. If not, we will go to a hotel. I promise you. Like, let's just see how we feel. So we hike back out there. We get in the tent, and for whatever reason, Owen had brought this little pack of cards of Slapjack. Of slapjack. They play it every night before they go to bed at our house right now. It's kind of his thing. He got it for Christmas. And so he pulls out of his backpack a little thing of Slapjack. He's like, Dad, can we play cards? I'm like, sure. We start playing Slapjack, and we're laughing, and we're having a good time. It's pitch black. We had our headlamps on. We can see our breath and everything, and we're playing. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, his attitude has completely changed. So we get done. I'm like, buddy, how are you feeling? I mean, you think we can stay out here now? Are you good? And he looked at me and said, Dad... After we played Slapjack, you know, I feel so much better. It, it kind of feels like home. I think we can stay. I was like, sweet. So he got in his sleeping bag, went fast asleep. Eli and I didn't sleep much. It was freezing, but his, back, his sleeping bag was much warmer. He was good. But I realized something, that his mind went from being totally focused on all the fear, all the scenarios, all the things he could possibly think of that would go bad and go wrong, freeze to death, getting robbed, you name it. I mean, all that was running through his mind. And all it took was a little diversion 
to think on something different, to think on something better, just playing cards together, where all of a sudden now it had changed from being a place of fear, of death, now of life and peace. Of life and peace. And I wonder how many of us this morning, if we were able to allow the, the Lord to just tw- tweak our mindset just a bit, maybe it's a lens that needs to change, to see all of life through God's great mercy. Maybe it's to allow God participate with him finally, allowing him to transform us rather than trying to do it on our own. Maybe it's finally realizing that God is at work within us and we submit ourselves to him. A a renewed heart is is a surrendered heart. Maybe we've never really surrendered that to him and maybe today we can make that choice. We can beat the odds in our mindset. We don't have to take our cues from the world. We can take our cues from the mercy of God this morning. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, we come to you this morning so grateful, so grateful for your sacrifice on the cross, for your great mercy that offers us a new start, a fresh start every single day. And I pray, Father, for every person in these pews, any person who's watching online right now, God, I pray that you would awaken us, awaken us to a mindset, God, that is focused on you. Protect us, God, from allowing our minds to go other places full of fear, pride, anxiety. I pray, Father, that we could rest with life and peace as we feed the spirit rather than feeding the fear. God, thank you for your love today. We want to be moved by you to new places, healthier places, because we want to grow. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.